right, all right, all right. Day 208. Welcome back to the Windows and Mirrors podcast. My name is Keith. And remember, this is a podcast where we're trying to show you that the Bible is more uh, like a window than it is a mirror. We come to it to see through it and to see God, not to it to primarily look at it and see ourselves. All right, so we're in this modified chronological plan, and today we begin the book of Lamentations, right? So Lamentations takes place uh, at the the time uh, that Jeremiah's book ended, right? And so Lamentations is this book, five poems, right? Five chapters, five poems, where the author, uh, many believe to actually be Jeremiah, is lamenting at the destruction of Jerusalem, right? So he's going to express this deep grief and pain about the darkest, listen, the darkest moment in Israel's history, right? Period, fam. And it's the siege of Jerusalem, right? The destruction of the city, the destruction of the temple, and the invasion of the Babylonian kingdom, 586 BC. Now, a lament, hear this, a lament is a familiar genre, right? We're familiar with laments, right, in scripture, especially in places like the Psalms, right, for example. So uh, a lament, just to be clear that we're all on the same page, a lament simply defined, listen, is a cry out to God in the midst of pain and suffering, right? This isn't sinful, it's human, right? It's the fitting human response to sin, pain, and suffering. One scholar says it's it's a form of protest, right? It's a form of protest in a world that is not the way God has created it and designed it to be. It's it's a way to articulate confusion, pain, and despair. It's a way that scripture gives us to process emotions, right? And so I just love how practical the Bible is, fam. This is why I get so teed and so hyped because the Bible is so practical and it meets us in our deepest needs. All right, so Lamentations 1 comes. And this first chapter uh, is, uh, along with other chapters, it's an acrostic, right? And it's basically just this fancy word that means um, every verse in the first chapter begins with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet, right? And so it's very stylistic, very poetic. But in this first chapter, Jerusalem, the city that was sieged by Babylon, is personified as a woman, right? A woman, a grieving widow to be exact. And if there's one word that I could use to describe this chapter, it's loss, right? Judah didn't just lose their homeland, but they lost so much more than that, right? They lost the abundance of crops that they had. They lost allies. They lost a resting place. They lost happiness, prestige, courage, right? And most importantly, their place of worship, right? They lost the temple, right? And all of it, all of the things they lost was in contrast to the glory of the past, right? So you see verse seven, he says, during the days of her affliction and homelessness, Jerusalem remembers all her precious belongings that were that were hers in days of, oh, you see verse 11 too, all her people groan while they search for bread. They have traded their precious belongings for food in order to stay alive. And so you just see the contrast between what stuff used to be like and what stuff is like now. Now what's interesting about um, chapter one, uh, is that Lamentations is not just a lament, but many scholars have argued that it is a city lament, right? So meaning in those days, in the ancient Near East, the cultural background of the Old Testament, in those days, stuff like this would happen, right? And guess what? Poets in other nations would craft and create laments and songs and poems about the destruction of their city. However, the difference in this lament is so interesting. The difference here that you don't find in the ancient world 
is that lamentation says the reason for the siege, right? They, they give the reason for the suffering they're experiencing. They're given the reason that Babylon actually did this. And it's because of Judah's sin, right? And it's so, so clear. Like the author is super clear about this reality. So he says, no, no, her adversaries have become her masters. Her enemies are at ease for the Lord has made her suffer. Why? Because of her many transgressions. Verse 18, the Lord is just for I have rebelled against his command. Let all their wickedness come before you and deal with them as you have dealt with me because of all my transgressions. Listen, I think the thing that the author wants us to learn is this. We never know how much we are forfeiting in our attempt to turn our backs on God, right? We never know how much it will actually cost us when we actually turn away from the Lord. And we remember the book of Jeremiah. That is exactly what Judah did. Chapter two comes. If the last chapter could be summarized in one word uh, in the word loss, the next one can be summed up in the one word wrath, right? Wrath or anger. And I think what he's trying to show us, listen, is that sin is so serious that it merits the judgment of God. And I ain't just talking. Look, look at the text. He says, oh, how the Lord has overshadowed daughter Zion with his Anger, verse two comes without compassion. The Lord has swallowed up all the dwellings of Jacob in his wrath. There's it. There's the word. He has demolished the fortified cities of daughter Judah. You summon those who terrorize me on every side as for as if for an appointed festival day on the day of the Lord's anger. No one escaped or survived. He uses similar and synonymous words, wrath, anger. Uh, all these different words to speak to the fact that make no mistake what happened was because of sin yes and it was a result of god's judgment now it's interesting because the very first verse uh, verse one of chapter two and then verse 22 literally form uh what i've what we called an inclusio or a bracket right where you see the same word right at the beginning and the end showing you the main theme of the passage right and it's wrath and it's anger and what we learn is this fam god is just no no, no. god is just God is just and faithful to his covenant. He's just and faithful to his word, to his covenant. Why do I say his covenant? Listen, the Bible is so intricate. The structure of lamentations is thematically built. Many have argued it's thematically built on the structure of guess what passage? Deuteronomy 28, my favorite passage. In other words, what, what, the, what the author is saying is like, no, no, no. The covenant curses that God promised to give in light of disobedience are unfolding before our eyes. Right. And so, in other words, for God not to bring the curses that he promised would be would be God being unfaithful to his covenant. God would be being unfaithful to his very word. Right. And so you see the Lord, the Lord here just doing what he said he was going to do, fam. And he warned him and he warned him for centuries, G centuries. Anyway, we talked about that in Jeremiah. And so God's wrath. It's just him being just. Right. And it's so interesting because many of us, especially in today's uh, uh, day and age, we love justice. Right. We love talking about justice and God is just God is just. But we got to we got to be consistent. We can't argue for God to be just on one hand and get uncomfortable when he punishes sin on the other. Right. When he expresses his justice in punishing sin. And that's what he's doing here amongst his very own people. Right. And so Lamentations three comes and we hear all of those real truths and difficult realities and it's like, man, what, what can we really do? And I love Lamentations because he gives us an answer. He says, no, we must completely cast and thrust and throw ourselves onto the grace and mercy of God. We must make an appeal for his mercy. 
look what he says in verse 19. He says, remember my affliction and my homelessness, the wormwood and the poison. I continually remember them and have become depressed. Yet I call this to mind and therefore I have hope. This is what he calls to mind. Because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish for his mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say the Lord is my portion. Check this. Therefore, I will put my hope in him. Now, this is so good. Why is it so good? Oh, my goodness. Listen, I, I, I said before that Lamentations is this big, big poem that's made up of five poems. And the Bible is so stylized and intricate that these very verses that I just read are at the exact center point of the entire book. The very center of the entire book speaks of the mercy, compassion, faithful love of God that never ends, that never ends. Right. And so in other words, what God desires for his people to do, even if they've sinned against him, is to recall, to recount on his faithful love, his covenant faithfulness, his graciousness and his compassion. Jeremiah, I think it's Jeremiah, Jeremiah in these verses expresses hope in the midst of suffering. Hope, hope. He mentions that the mercy of the Lord will never end, even though his surroundings say otherwise, right? Because of his faithfulness, because his faithfulness is great, our hope can be great as well. There's so much here. I, I could go all day on those three verses, so much there. But um, I love where he goes next too. He says, um, verse 32, he says, even if he causes suffering, he will show compassion according to the abundance of his faithful love, right? But he says this, for he does not enjoy bringing affliction or, or suffering on mankind i'm reading from the csb csb is uh dynamic equivalent meaning it is more um phrase for phrase kind of thought for thought but i love actually like the king james and the the more word for word literal translations here because it says that literally it says um for god does not afflict from the heart that's what it says it literally says god does not afflict from the heart and i think the csb captures the sense of it. in other words he doesn't he doesn't enjoy doing this. He, he doesn't do this because he because he wants to. He doesn't do it because he wants to. God is God is not sadistic. Forget what you heard. He ain't standing over the world laughing at the misery of his people. He doesn't. He's not holding people over a pit of fire with an evil laugh, hoping that you fall in. Right. He he he, he does not enjoy that. But but what the text is trying to say, though, is that he is so just that to not execute his justice and his judgment, he would not he he would be he would not be God if he didn't do it. He, he wouldn't be holy. He wouldn't be God. And so the text is just trying to say, like, at the end of the day, Jeremiah knows his Bible. At the end of the day, God is merciful and this is this is something he has to do because otherwise if he didn't do it he will betray his character right that's all he's saying that's all he's saying and so in other words what we got to do is remember who god is right and that his abundance of faithful love and compassion uh will never end even when his justice is still meted out chapter four comes and it's so good man it's just so much here in this in this text but uh four comes man and the lament, the, uh, the lament uh, is now speaking of the people's fate. And again, the dominant themes are, are the curses, right? This 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 sword, this this war, 
uh, taken from the homeland, famine, all of those things jump out off the page. And again, he's he's clear about the sins of the people of God and uh, and how uh, they betrayed the Lord. And it says this in verse 13, it says, um, yet it happened because of the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests. Check this. It says, who shed the blood of the righteous within her? And so God hates as, as Proverbs will say, the shedding of innocent blood, right? Israel's leaders, right? No, 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 not regular folks. Leaders had led the way in this. And God is saying, my judgment has come against my own people because of the innocent blood that they have spilled, right? From those who that are most vulnerable in society, right? And so God is not just arbitrary with it. Like he ain't just, he ain't just got a bad temper where he just get mad with cats, right? Like he is always trying to uplift the vulnerable of society and seek, uh, uh, see to it that justice uh, pervades his kingdom. Last chapter, final poem, and it basically describes Judah just appealing for restoration. Remember, all we can do uh, is appeal to the mercy and graciousness of God, and those who appeal to the mercy and graciousness of God will receive it. Um, and I, I love the end, though, because it says, uh, verse 19, it says, You, Lord, are enthroned forever. Your throne endures from generation to generation. God is this great king over his people, right? Verse 21, though. It says, Lord, bring us back to yourself so we may return. Renew our days as in former times, unless you have completely rejected us and are intensely angry with us. And that's how the book ends, right? The book doesn't end off neat or tied with a bow. You know why? Because suffering, at least on this side of heaven, doesn't always end off neat, clean and tied with a bow. Right. The open ended nature of suffering and the wounds and the hardship we experience is understood by the biblical authors. And most importantly, it's understood by God. Right. And I think the beauty of it is looking, taking a step back. The beauty of it is, is that we know the whole story. Right. We know the end of the story. We know that God and his kindness has promised a restoration, a reversal of our fates and a portioning of an inheritance. We get whiffs of it now in the gospel of Jesus Christ and the spirit he gives to us. But we will receive it all one day when Yahweh returns. And it's so funny because this community was waiting on Yahweh to return. They was like, God, you got to come back and fix this. Right. They were looking for the Lord to return. And the beauty of the gospel is that we are too. We're looking for Jesus to come back to redo, to redo and renew all things, right? Our hope is the same as theirs, right? As a great king over the whole earth, Jesus is coming back to do the very things he's promised to do. Listen, God promised judgment and he did it. God promised Jesus would come and he did it. God has promised to come back and he's going to do it, right? And if he didn't do it, he'd betray his character and he'd betray his covenant. The last thing I want to say, and this for free, I was going to give it to the Patreon, but I got to give it to y'all for free. I'm feeling too good. Listen, in Lamentations chapter three, one of the things that the author is going to do is he's going to take on these, um, he's going to take on these uh, uh, kind of characteristics of where he talks of the way he's um, taking on the sins of the people, right? He uses this language, <laughs> he uses this language. Uh, he personifies this language of Isaiah 53, right? Of Isaiah 53. And in Isaiah 53, we learn of this suffering servant who comes and he bears the curses for his people. He bears the sins of his people or for his people on his people's behalf before God. And that only, yeah, there's no other way to read these texts other than to remember the person of Jesus who comes 
and takes the curses, the covenant curse. Go read Galatians chapter three when you get time for us so that we could receive the blessing of God's spirit and life with him forever. May we hope in that reality, even when life looks dark right now. Let's pray. God, we ask for your grace to remember what you've promised us in your word. God, I pray that we will remember that we can be honest about our circumstances and still hopeful at the same time. I pray, Lord, that hope wouldn't be drowned out by our suffering, but we will remember we could have hope in the midst of suffering because your mercies don't end. We ask all these things in Jesus.